All right. Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to our uh, Bible class here uh, on this uh, first day of November. Uh, for those of you who are here in person, welcome. And if you are maybe catching this uh, on the live stream, we also want to welcome you also as we continue our um, kind of trek through the, uh, you might say trek through the Bible, but focusing on uh, the individuals that play key roles along the way um, in the lineage of Jesus. We're going to take a stop uh, tonight in the book of Ruth and uh, examine her story. Um, she is one of five women that uh, are called out specifically in the genealogy of Jesus uh, in Matthew's account. So we'll be looking at her story tonight and what lessons we might can uh, glean from that. So uh, again, our kind of theme for this is that God used imperfect people to do uh, great things, uh, and Ruth is no exception to that, um, as no one really is from those that we've looked at uh, thus far this quarter. Um, this is a refresher. Uh, so we have two accounts of the full genealogy of Jesus, one in Matthew and one in Luke. Uh, and in Matthew chapter 1, we have an account that begins with what Bible character? Abraham. Abraham. All right, so Matthew's account begins with Abraham and takes us through Joseph. And Matthew stresses what aspect of Jesus' lineage? All right, the kingship. Yes, so he stresses the kingship of Jesus by taking us through all the kings of um, the combined kingdom, just David and Solomon, um, but then also those in the divided kingdom of Judah. And then in Luke chapter 3, we have um, another account of the genealogy. Um, Luke wrote to a Gentile audience, so he went even further back from Abraham all the way to Adam. All right, so he carries us all the way back to Adam and even to God. Um, and he takes us through the maternal lineage of Jesus, um, which is in fact the true blood lineage of Jesus. So... Um, in Luke's account, there are, there are no women mentioned, uh, but Matthew does take a notation of five women um, along the way. And one of those, of course, is Ruth that we'll be looking at uh, tonight. All right, so uh, this is our full big picture of the full genealogy of Jesus. Um, and uh, I can't read that far away, so I'm going to turn my head here. Uh, thank you. So we've got uh, Adam, Seth, Enos. Kenan, Mahalil, Jared, and then we have uh, Enoch, and then Methuselah, and then that first red blank right there, the son of Methuselah, father of Noah, would be who? Lamech. All right, so right there we have Lamech, and then we go through Shem, and then a few additional people, and then who was the father of Abraham? Tim? Tara, yes, Tara. Uh, my clicker doesn't work when we're zoomed in, so I can't make it show up. But yes, uh, Tara was the father of Abraham. And then we know we have the patriarchs, Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob. And we studied last week about Judah being uh, one of the 12 tribes, um, one of the sons of Jacob that carried that lineage. And through Tamar, who was the son that was born that carried the bloodline of Jesus. This is a tough one. 
Perez, yes. So Perez, P-E-R-E-Z, um, is going to be who was born to Judah through Tamar. Um, and then that carries us down through Salmon and Boaz, who we'll be looking at tonight. Um, and then there, uh, Boaz, of course, uh, would be married to Ruth. And Boaz and Ruth had a son named Obed. And then Obed's son, who was the father of the king, was named Jesse. All right, so we have Boaz, Obed, then Jesse. And then we come to King David. I'll give that one away right there. And at that point, the lineage or bloodline um, kind of diverges into uh, that of his father, Joseph, and that of his mother, Mary. And two different sons of David, and we'll cover this uh, actually next week, um, are going to be that kind of divergence in the bloodline. And so we see up here on the top part of our schematic, the bloodline of Mary. And so which of the sons of David um, would be the uh, ancestor of Mary? Nathan, all right, not Nathan the prophet, but Nathan the son of David. And then we move down to the lower part. This is our kingship right here, all the kings of uh, Israel and then Judah. And which of the sons of David would be the ancestor of Joseph? Solomon, who himself was a king as well. All right, so that is our big picture look at the uh, genealogy. And so uh, we'll do one more set of reviews right here. Uh, to see how much Nathan remembers from uh, two weeks ago. So uh, here we have uh, Abraham, uh, and his father, we said already, was Terah. Terah had two other sons uh, there in blanks three and four. So which of those sons, we'll just name e either of them. Nahor was one of them, yes. Uh, oh, actually... I, I skipped Ishmael over there. All right, so there's Nahor. And then we had one other son of Terah. Um, he died kind of earlier than the others, and therefore his son was more or less uh, adopted or kind of uh, taken under the wing by Abraham. And that was Haran. All right, so uh, three sons of Terah. So we have Haran, we have Nahor, and we have Abram. All right, and then uh, which was the son of Haran? who died, or Haran died, and so his son um, kind of followed Abraham along in his path. Who was that individual? Lot. Lot. Good, Lot. And we're going to see Lot uh, mentioned uh, briefly as we study tonight, because uh, through his two daughters, um, or through one of his daughters, we have the Moabites. And Ruth, the topic for tonight, was a Moabite. So she was a descendant of Lot, through um, one of his daughters. All right, then we get to uh, uh, Nahor um, had uh, Bethuel, and then we have uh, two, uh, a brother and a sister there. Um, one of those would be married to Isaac, and one of those would become the uncle of Jacob, also became his father-in-law as well. So who were the brother and sister, um, the son and daughter of Bethuel? Laban and Rebekah, exactly. So Rebekah would marry Isaac and have Jacob and Esau. And then her brother Laban had two daughters that eventually would marry Jacob. And those were Rachel and Leah. And they're both mentioned by name in the book of Ruth um, as an analogy. 
All right, and then lastly over there, we have Jacob's brother who was the father of the Edomites and who was the twin brother of Jacob. Esau, good. All right, so there's our family tree of Abraham, just to keep everything kind of fresh in your minds. All right, so looking at our overall timeline here, so the book of Ruth takes place during the time of the Judges. At the very beginning of the book, um, it mentions the fact that this is in the time of the Judges. So we are probably the latter end of the period of the Judges, but certainly before um, King Saul became King Saul. So that's where we are in the overall timeline. And here is, we're going to zoom in on these individuals right here as we study tonight. So uh, Salmon, and then his son Boaz, who would marry Ruth, and then Obed, and then Jesse, and then David. So if you, if you look, I'll give away the punchline here, Boaz and Ruth are going to be the great-grandparents of King David. So they are only a few generations away from uh, King David and that then diverges in the bloodline in between that of Mary and that of Joseph. All right, so this is another schematic. I like schematics. I'm a visual person. So there's another schematic of, Ruth's, uh, of a family tree this time, of Ruth's family tree, to kind of help you make these connections between how all these people are interconnected by marriage or even by actual bloodship. So if you look up there in the far right, you've got Judah. So Judah was, of course, one of the sons of Jacob, one of the 12 tribes. All right, and then there you see Perez. So that was his son through um, uh, Tamar. And then we have all these generations kind of coming on down. And if uh, Patrick, if you'll scroll on down a little bit, then we can see then that Boaz is going to be a direct descendant of Judah. So Boaz is going to be of the tribe of Judah. And he's going to be from the city of Bethlehem, which is an important connection because David would also be of the city of Bethlehem because David is really going to be just like two or three generations down from Boaz. And again, that's why Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem in the uh, early part there in the Gospels, and that's why Jesus was born in Bethlehem, because they traveled to the city of their family, their ancestors, for that census uh, that was ordered. All right, so there's Boaz, and we'll put a pin in him for right now, but then if you look over here on the other side, we've got uh, this guy named Elimelech, and he would marry a woman named Naomi, and they were also of the tribe of Judah. So they were going to be related to Boaz. We don't know exactly know how, but they were all from the tribe of Judah. They all lived there in Bethlehem, and they were relatively near in their kinship. All right? Uh, Elimelech and Naomi have two sons, Chilion and Malon. Okay? So family of four. And that family of four is going to move to Moab because of a famine and they travel become sojourners there looking for work food water um, things to stay alive during this time of famine and while they're there you can see the the skull and crossbones Elimelech Chilion and Malon all unfortunately die all right so that's going to leave Naomi as a widow with no husband and no sons but before they die uh, the two sons, Chilion and Malon, are each going to marry 
a Moabite. All right. Ruth, a Moabite, is going to be married to Malon. And then Shilion is going to be married to, you can't see over there, but a woman by the name of Orpah. All right. And so that's what's going to start our story right here. All right. In the book of Ruth is this family of four moving to Moab because of a famine. The two sons marry Moabite women. And then all three of the men, the father and both sons, die. And we have Naomi and we have two daughters-in-law. And remember that during this time, a widowed woman is basically destitute, okay? Very difficult to work, to make a living, right? So they're going to be in extreme poverty because of this situation. Not only is Naomi away from all of her family in a different land altogether, but she has no husband, she has no sons, she has almost no way to provide for herself. So they are going to be in a state of extreme poverty when we start this story. Okay? Uh, thank you, Patrick. So there's our big picture look. And then, again, kind of the punchline. If you look, Ruth and Boaz, they're going to get together, and they will then become the great-grandparents of King David and therefore fall within this lineage of Jesus. So, that's, that's the big picture look. So, the book of Ruth is fairly short. It's just uh, four chapters. And, you know, you always have to ask the question, you know, why is it in here? Why did God choose to include this story of Ruth in the Bible? Why did Matthew choose to mention Ruth when he was going through this lineage of Jesus? Why is he going to say that Boaz begat Obed through Ruth? He doesn't say Obed begot Jesse through a wife, but he does call out Ruth for some reason. There has to be some reason for the book to be included. Why do we have the story at all? But also, why did Matthew include that little tidbit when he carried through that uh, genealogy. So I hope we can answer that question uh, tonight. So turn over to Ruth chapter 1, and we'll begin our look at this uh, really fascinating story. All right, so um, I'm going to read verses 1 through uh, 5 just to set things up, and this just reiterates what I mentioned already. So in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. Uh, they went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. Uh, her two sons took Moabite wives, uh, one was named Orpah, the other was named Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, so no small length of time. And both Malon and Shilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. All right? Um, it's mentioned there that they were Ephrathites. Um, so this uh, is referring to, they from Bethlehem. All right? So that word Ephrathite um, doesn't refer to being in the tribe of Ephraim, 
instead refers to someone from the city of Bethlehem. All right, Jesse was also referred to as an Ephrathite um, in 1 Samuel chapter 17 because Jesse was also from the city of Bethlehem. So that's where they live prior to moving uh, over into uh, Moab. Okay, so moving on now. So that's setting up the story right there. So the book of Ruth is very efficient storytelling. We're going to carry the story along pretty quickly. So that's our intro right there. That's going to set the stage for the story of Ruth. Okay, so then we move into kind of the next aspect of our story. So, um, and I'll summarize part of this just for time, but Naomi learns that the famine back home has resolved. And the people back home have food, they have water. She is in a faraway land. She's got no husband, no sons. She probably would be better off going back to her homeland, be nearer to her family. So she decides, okay, we're going to move back to Bethlehem because the famine has gotten better back home. But she's got these two daughter-in-laws. And so she tells them, I want you both to stay here in Moab, close to your families. Again, these are women. They all are widows. Very difficult to provide for themselves. And so she thinks you're better off staying here close to your families. And they both say, no, 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 we want to go with you. And she says, I can offer you nothing. I have no more sons. So we talked about last week the liberate marriage, where when you are a widow and you have no children, then you can marry the brother of your deceased husband to carry that line forward. There are no brothers. So she says, I can offer you nothing. She said, even if I were to have more kids, are you going to wait 20 years for them to grow up and then marry them? No. She says, you're better off staying here because I have nothing to offer you. So Orpah says, okay, I'm going to stay here. But Ruth says, no, I'm going to go with you. And I want to read Ruth's response here um, in chapter 1, beginning in verse uh, 11. So Naomi says, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? And she says, turn back. And then Ruth is going to respond in verse uh, 16 and say, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And then Naomi sees that she's determined and says, okay, doesn't speak up anymore. So this, this passage right here is one of the kind of famous passages from the book of Ruth. Um, it's a very um, emotional answer that Ruth gives. She says, no, I'm sticking to you like glue. Right? Where you go, I'm going to go. When you die, I'm going to die there. I'm going to be by your side. There is a connection between these two women that's very evident in this passage right here. And that connection, that devotion that Ruth has to her mother-in-law is going to be foundational 
to how this story plays out. And we'll look at that. Okay? So, uh, beginning in verse 19 through the end of this chapter, um, they're going to move back to Bethlehem. Um, but what's kind of interesting here is that Naomi, she's not a super happy person right here. Okay? Read what she says beginning in verse 20. She said to them, uh, this is when they get back to Bethlehem. She says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, husband, two sons, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Um, when she gets back to Bethlehem, she really has kind of a woe is me um, aspect to the way she interacts with people. And she thinks something's happened and God's punishing me by killing my husband, losing my two sons, right? She calls this a calamity. It feels almost like a Job scenario, right? Where I've lost everything, all right? But despite the way that she feels about all that's happened to her, um, she's going she's gonna to push ahead, all right? She's not going to give up. She's going to keep treading forward, and she's also going to be instrumental in how the story plays out through the actions of Ruth. Okay, so chapter 2, Ruth and Boaz are going to meet. Um, Ruth is going to go out into the fields to just pick up some of the barley that the harvesters have let fall to the ground. Um, and she happens to do so in the field of a man named Boaz. And Boaz is going to take notice of her when she's there out in the fields. So chapter 2, um, she begins to go out and Boaz, let's see, uh, verse 4, or sorry, verse 5. Then Boaz said to his young men who's in charge of the reapers, whose young lady is this? And the servant who's in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. All right, and Boaz is going to take a liking to Ruth. And Ruth is not really sure why, but I want to read this starting in verse 10 right here. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? I'm a foreigner. I'm a Moabite. I'm not of your family. I'm not a Jew. And here's his response. Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward will be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge." The reason Boaz took notice of Ruth was not because of her beauty, not because of anything physical that he saw about her. It was because of her character. He learned that despite being a Moabite, she has come with her mother-in-law and she is out there in the fields picking up grain so that she and her mother-in-law have food to eat because they're that destitute. That kind of character in Ruth is what Boaz has noticed. 
And that's why he's going to show compassion on her because of that aspect of her character. All right, so um, uh, Ruth comes back home and Naomi says, you know, what happened? And she's going to tell Naomi that uh, I was out in the field. There was a man there. And Naomi uh, says, you know, who is this man? And she says in verse 19, uh, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And in verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And then she says in uh, the latter part of that verse, the man's a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Boaz is a relative of ours, and he is one of our redeemers. So what does this mean to be a redeemer? All right, that's going to be a key word, a key theme for the whole book of Ruth is this idea of a redeemer. I'm going to come back to that point uh, in just a moment. Um, let me go on to chapter 3 as we kind of ra- uh, finish up kind of the story itself. Um, Naomi becomes a matchmaker, all right? The wheels are turning. She says, Boaz is our kinsman. He's one of our redeemers. He's took notice of you. I'm going to play matchmaker here for a moment, all right? And she gives Ruth some instructions, all right, she tells Ruth, I want you to go out. Boaz is going to be at the threshing floor, and I want you to, when he goes to sleep, I want you to lay down at his feet and wait. So Ruth does that. All right, he goes out, he falls asleep. She lays down at his feet and waits. In chapter 3, verse 8, at midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it's true that I'm a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So, uh, Boaz wakes up, and there's a woman laying at his feet. It's dark. He doesn't know who this is. He says, who are you? She says, it's me. It's Ruth. And then it's, it's a little bit subtle in here, but Ruth is basically asking this man, will you be my redeemer? Will you save me and my destitute mother-in-law as our kinsman and he understands what she's asking even though it's not super clear to us because we don't kind of see this context here Um, but he says absolutely yes but there's one person that is first in line to become your redeemer if he will do it that's fantastic he will take care of you and your mother-in-law but if he will not then I will do it. 
but he's next in line, first in line, so he's going to get the first option or first choice to do this. Okay, so what does it mean to be a redeemer? So turn over real quick to Leviticus 25 and verse 25. So before I read that, you know, what does the word redeemer mean? Like when you hear the word redeemer, what does it mean? It could mean a savior, exactly. I think I heard someone say buy back, all right? It means to buy back, all right? So in Leviticus 25, we have kind of some rules about the year of Jubilee and uh, property and so forth. And uh, verse 25, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, so if someone becomes poor and they have to sell their land just to get money to, to live, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. So what that means is, let's say that uh, Drew here comes upon some hard times, and he has to sell his property just to feed his family. All right? He sells his property, he gets the money, and now Julie and the kids, right, they can eat. Well, it now falls upon his nearest kinsman, Mackenzie, if he's able, to go out and buy that property back. And you would do it, because you're a great brother. All right? This way, Drew can feed his family, but this property's not lost. It stays in the family. All right? That is the kinsman redeemer. It is taking care of your kinsmen, in this context, through buying directly the property they have to sell for money or buying it from whoever they sold it to so it stays within the family and doesn't go off into, um, you know, a stranger. All right? Ruth is asking Boaz, will you be my redeemer? Will you buy land that Naomi and her deceased husband Abimelech have so that we can have money to live, but that land stays within our family. That's what she's asking him. And he says, yes, but there's somebody else that will get first dibs, all right? There's a nearer kinsman, so maybe a, a brother or a nearer cousin. We're not sure who this person is, but there's someone closer related that this would fall to first. And Boaz says, this person should have the first option to do this. And if he won't, I will do it. I will take care. All right? So maybe Ashley will get the first dibs on Drew's property. And if Ashley says no, then Mackenzie, you're up. It's on you to do it. All right? Okay, so that's going to set us up right there. All right, so uh, chapter 4, uh, we basically have the conclusion to the story. Okay? So Boaz goes, um, he gets some city officials to make this all legal, and he goes to this person, which is never named in the book, and he tells them, uh, here's a situation. Will you buy this land that Naomi's trying to sell because she's poverty-stricken and needs money to live? 
And this man says, yes, I will do it. But Boaz, he, he adds a catch to it, okay? And what's going to happen is Boaz is going to take two different Jewish customs and kind of combine them together. So one of those is the kinsman redeemer, right? Buying the land so it stays in the family. But the other one is this idea of a liverite marriage. So Ruth is a widow. She had no children. Now, under the like, liberate uh, custom, she could be given to the brother of her deceased husband. Well, there aren't any brothers. There are no other brothers. But maybe that passes to a cousin or some other relative. So Boaz is going to tell this man that's not been named uh, in verse 5. The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So Boaz says, this, doesn't, this comes more than just buying land. You're going to take Ruth, and you're going to marry her under this liberate custom so that you will take care of her, and she will bear children to carry the seed of her now-deceased husband. And this man says, okay, I'm out. All right? He says, I can't do that because I want to protect my family tree. Like, I don't want to have kids for somebody else that's dead. I want to kind of protect my own. So he, he turns down uh, this. He says in verse 6, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance Take the right of redemption or yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So he, he passes. So now the door is open for Boaz. Boaz is going to buy the land. So that's the redeemer kinsman aspect of this. And he's going to marry Ruth, the liberate marriage component of this. And in doing so, he's going to save Ruth and Naomi financially, and in other ways as well, including allowing Ruth to have children in the absence of her now deceased husband. All right? So in verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And then this is the climax right here. A son has been born to Naomi. They called his name Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then we know that David would become the father of Jesus many generations down the line. So, as we kind of wrap up here, I want to think about this idea of the Redeemer, all right? Who was the Redeemer kinsman of this story? Okay? The first option here is Boaz. All right, this is the most literal interpretation of the story. Boaz literally was the kinsman Redeemer, all right? In Ruth chapter 2 and verse 20, he specifically called one of our redeemers. And we know he actually did become that Tinsman Redeemer 
both buying the land and also marrying Ruth. But you could also make an argument here that Ruth played the part of the Redeemer. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 11, this is where Boaz tells Ruth why he took notice of her. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me how you left your father and mother and your native land and became to a people that you did not know before. Ruth went with her mother-in-law. Ruth protected her mother-in-law. Ruth fed her mother-in-law. Ruth cared for her mother-in-law. She was a savior in this story in her own right. Protecting Naomi, she would go on to marry Boaz, and in doing so, provide for Naomi, even in her old age. Ruth was also a savior, a redeemer within our story. But it's also very interesting, this son that's just mentioned one time, Obed. Look at Ruth chapter 4 and verse 14. Then the women, so women of the town, said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. So they're speaking to Naomi, not to Ruth. And they say, You, Naomi, have a redeemer. But who are they speaking about? And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And that him is Obed. Obed is referred by the women of the town specifically as a redeemer. So how does Obed, how does Naomi's grandson then become a redeemer? Well, Boaz was most likely older in age. All right? And he probably died at some point, and Ruth more than likely lived longer. So after Boaz has died, their son Obed, not only can he maintain the lineage, the line, he is the, the biological son of Boaz, but he is the figurative inheritance son of Naomi, Elimelech, and their son Mahon that died through that liberate marriage relationship. And Obed, he is a savior to Naomi. He's going to carry her dead husband's lineage. He's going to provide as a man for that family for many years to come. But then here's where this whole story comes to its real climax and that is because the whole story of Ruth is really an allegory for Christ it is full of foreshadowing of this relationship that Christ has with us Ruth was a Gentile she was lost she was destitute she had no money no inheritance she was in poverty. Boaz had compassion on Ruth because of her character, and Boaz bought her back. Exactly how Jesus 
had compassion on us in our destitute state and how Jesus bought us back with his blood on the cross. This idea of redeemer, it's mentioned numerous times throughout the book of Ruth. And really, Ruth is just a microcosm or an allegory to the story of Christ. Boaz plays the role of the redeemer, as does Ruth and Obed in their own ways, all symbolizing Christ. And Naomi and Ruth, who are destitute, they're us. They needed to be redeemed and the same way we need our own redemption, ours comes through Jesus, but the book of Ruth foreshadows that in a, such a beautiful way. That's why Matthew included it. That's why it's in the Bible, and that's why Matthew called attention to it in his genealogy. Thank you for your attention. Have a great night.